Tonight we're going to speak about, or last time, we're going to talk a little bit about the purpose of the church and the Baptist distinctives. I want to get your Bible out, and we'll go there in just a few moments. But let's begin, if we can, please, uh, at uh, the book of, um, of uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Thank you for being here on this Wednesday night. We've been taking the time a little bit to go through what I would share oftentimes with new members of our church on the purpose of the local church, its purpose, uh, why you'd want to be a part of it, and then why are we Baptists? That's what we're going to talk about tonight. Some of this will be old hat to you. You may be familiar. Maybe you could teach me a few things about it. But I think it's important that from time to time we just see and not get bored with the basics and repeat some things that can be helpful to us and everyone has a different, different um, stage of life, and, and I hope this will be a help and a blessing to you. Look real quickly, if we can, please, at uh, these, these uh, if you can give me my, my uh, first slide. This is Acts chapter 20, verse 28. Let's all read it together. Take heed there and for to yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased. If God gave his blood for the church, you and I ought to go to church. <laughs> And we ought to be involved with it. I think it's an obvious thing. Of course, 1 Timothy chapter 3.15 is the reason he wrote the book of 1 Timothy. He said, if you tarry long, if I tarry long, can't get to you soon. I want you to know how to behave yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar in the ground of truth. And then he says, here's just five reasons why I think it's important to be involved with the local church. Number one, identification. You identify with God, Christ, and each other in his body. Number two, it's a place of instruction where we're instructed from God's Word and His instruments, a place of involvement. We get involved in fellowship with brothers and sisters. By the way, I don't think you'll ever, um, you'll ever understand the significance of getting together with another brother or sister. They need that. They need to see you sing. And I, I was just, today was watching some of our teenagers sing songs. I'm glad you do that. Um, one person came to, years ago, they came, they were unsaved, they came to a church like this one, and I've heard this even from our church, but they said, you know what, I don't believe in God, but these people sing like they really mean it. <laughs> and boy, just, just the way people sang was a testimony to an unsaved man, an unsaved woman in that particular case. Uh, but in fellowship, in worshiping the Lord, in prayers, and in our service. Number, th number next is inspiration. Church is a place where we're inspired to mature, to serve, to exhort and edify other people, and then to win the lost, to reach others. And I think every good church, it needs to have the proverbial kick in the pants. We're challenging us to do something with our life. Only one life to offer, and we need to give it to the Lord. And we need to be challenged continually to be more invested. And then a place of investment, our time, our talents, our treasures, and uh, our tithes and offering and alms. Actually, that's going to be a, a focus of, of April. Those of you, we're just a few days away from April, uh, April 2nd. And Sunday night, we have a special service, which we're going to introduce a little bit of our new, uh, our new uh, theme for the, book of, for the month of April in 2023 with eternity in view, investing. And so this is going to be right down our alley there. What, is, what do we do what we do? Well, number one, we're going to focus on what God has for every individual. wants them to be saved, sanctified, separated, and involved in serving the Lord. God, when, so you say, why do we have a youth activity? Why do we have a Christian school? Why do we have the Better Roads Recovery Home? Why do we have a rescue mission? Why do we have the nursing home ministry? All of this is why. Because we want people that are unsaved to get saved. 
and then people that are saved to be clean and set apart and separated from the world so they can serve the Lord effectively. That's really uh, one of our goals. Then to bond people into the church family using love. One thing that Jesus said, this is the only badge of discipleship this world will recognize is how a Christian loves another Christian. Have you ever been, maybe, I hope you've never been to a church split or a church business meeting that got a little crazy. But you know, those things are very damaging. They're very damaging to the, to the next generation. They're very damaging. And look, if you've got something critical to say to someone, find a place to go talk to them and love as a listener and try to work on that situation. Don't go, go telling other people negative things about somebody. Um, it's an abomination to sow discord among the brethren. Satan is the accuser of the brethren. I've been guilty of that. I've, I've played right into his hands sometimes. I don't want to do that. I want to be very be careful not to be critical, but to be a, a, a proponent of God's love. And then we communicate God's word with preaching, teaching, and discipling people one-on-one. -on -one. I hope you're involved with that, and you should be. Everybody should be to be teaching, preaching, or helping someone grow in the Lord. I hope you'll do that. Have an eternal impact. Uh, with the gospel of Christ, both locally and globally. These are the verses we go on that. Tonight, we're going to talk a little bit about Baptist distinctives. What do Baptists believe? Let me just quickly remind you that Baptists are not Protestant. I was the other day, was talking to a man, witnessing to him, and he was a very staunch in his religion. But he said, you Protestant. I said, you know, let me kind of just to help you with something. Baptists are not Protestant. <laughs> They didn't protest and come out of the Catholic Church. They've always been a Bible-centered, believing, practicing people. The reason I love Baptist doctrine is the Baptist doctrine is Bible doctrine. It, you can see the thing. There's not a, a Baptist church doesn't have a creed. It has a Bible. And the Bible is our creed. It is our, is our thing. Now, I understand that every Baptist church, I could not in good conscience be a, to join. I was over in... Uh, in uh, New England this summer, and, and they took me by a Baptist church. It had rainbow-colored flags and had a woman pastor. Well, you know, it, it was one of the first Baptist churches ever settled in, New, in Rhode Island, not, New, not New, in New England, but in Rhode Island. But I couldn't, I couldn't in good conscience go, even though they have the same sign. It's a Baptist church. It doesn't have the same beliefs, and we understand that, I think. However, I love the, fa the fact that Baptists, distinctives. What makes us different than other particular, particular religions? Now, Baptist people are not the only people going to heaven. We don't have a monopoly on the truth. That you, and and the, the longer you live, the more you'll see, I think, that Christianity is bigger than we think it is. There are good people out there who don't share your same uh, beliefs and, or your same practices that truly love the Lord. But, uh, and the truth of the matter is also is that Christianity is much smaller than we think it is. It is not doing a good job keeping up with the birth rate and with getting people to the gospel of Christ, and we ought to do all we can do to, to fix that second part for sure. But there are good people out there that are not necessarily would understand what I'm sharing tonight in this passage, in this, in this study. However, I'm glad that God led me and I'm not better than anybody else, but he led me into uh, the Baptist faith and the Baptist doctrines. And I now, I was, I was kind of, as a child, I was exposed to that. 
And I would, I would listen like anyone else. But I had to make a choice what I was going to do with my life. And everybody needs to make a choice what they're going to do. But when you know the truth, I think it, 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 it brings conviction. And it brings a, a strong constitution. And it brings freedom. And I love these points. There's a Baptist acrostic, and I want you to look at them real quickly. Number one, the Baptist people believe in the biblical authority. That the Bible is the sole authority for all matters of faith and practice. So, if pastor comes up with an idea, and I come in here one Sunday and say, hey, you know what, you're not going to need your Bible today. I just want to give you some philosophy that I've learned and been studying. You ought to throw me out of my ear on Sibley and go get a pastor. <laughs> because if I say something that differs from the Bible, well, the Bible's right, and I'm wrong again. There's not a pope, there's not a bishop, uh, there's not someone else. It's not, it's not traditions. Uh, I talked to a man the other day, was witnessing to him, and he said, you know, we need traditions. And some of you guys, you only go with the Bible. You've got you to value traditions too. And Apostle Paul had an answer to that in Colossians chapter 2, verse 8. He said, beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy, uh, through traditions of men, and, not after, and rudiments of the world, not after Christ. He says, what traditions can mess you up? But the Bible authority, the Bible's the the, the the final authority for all matters of faith and practice. So everything we ought to do, we ought to really be fostered from the Scriptures. Let's look at a couple of verses that prove that. Can we please? Let's look, if we can please, at uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. That's where I ask you to turn first. And verse number 13, who already has it there? You got it right there, chapter 2 and verse number 13. Let's look at it and let's read it together. You ready? For this cause also... Without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, which you heard of us, she received it not as the word of man, but as it is in truth. He said, when you heard the word of God, you didn't say, oh, man wrote that. No, you took it as the actual words of God. Let's go, if we can, please, to 2 Timothy chapter 3. This is a great time. Young people that have your Bibles and uh, folks that are maybe new, you ought to get your Bible out and you ought to get a little pen or pencil and make some notes here. These are verses on the Scriptures. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse number 15. 2 Timothy chapter 3. And let's look, if we can, please, at verse number 14 as well. This is the Apostle Paul telling uh, Timothy, this is what a perilous world you're going to live in, is, you're going to need. You're going to need a pure testimony. You're going to need some tough inner man's strength to sustain some trials. Verse 14, what does it say? What are you going to need from verse number 14? But to continue thou in the things which you've learned and been assured of, knowing of whom you've learned them. He said, look, you've got to, you, in, a, in a perilous day, we need people who will stay right, <laughs> will continue evaluating. Every once in a while you find young people that, well, I'm going to find out what I believe. You know what you might do while you're still young and dumb? While you're drinking cans of stupidity? You, you might want to decide, you know, I think I'll just, I'll just uh, stay on the path that's already been shown by the people that love the Lord and are faithful and are finishing strong. I think I'll just stay on that pathway. The Old Testament prophets said, you know, get you to the great men and walk in, in the old paths. It's not talking about being old-fashioned. It's talking about the proven paths. Don't try to make your own way. But continue thou. He told Timothy, continue thou in things you've learned. Verse 15, he begins to tell him, uh, you've got to have a loyalty to the Scriptures. Look at verse 15, if you would please. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 15. But that from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto what? 
That's the first reason for the Bible, so we would know how to be saved. Okay? He said, he said since you're a little kid, Timothy, we've taught you the Bible so you would know how to be saved. And he had a godly grandmother and a godly mom, and he had a Greek dad. And what, probably why his mom and mom was teaching him about Abraham, Isaac, and Moses, and Jacob, and, and Daniel, and David, and all those. His dad was teaching him about Zeus, and was teaching him about Greek myths, and, and Socrates, and Plato's that would come along later, things, these philosophers. And, and it was a divided thing. But he said, look, if you were a child, your mom, and you're, you're, you, you were exposed to the scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation. By the way, I think we need a revival of reaching children with the gospel of Christ. The more I interview people on the radio, on our Grace to Grow broadcast, or our Friday edition of Grace to Grow, I'm amazed how many times I hear someone say, I was 11 years old. I was invited to a vacation Bible school. My parents didn't go to church, went to vacation Bible school, and I got saved. Oh, I, I rode the bus when I was eight. Miss Miriam Garcia is back here. She said, I will always be thankful for Brother Ray Young because I went into the Jack Isles Auditorium after I came to church as an eight years old, eight, eight years old, and I heard for the first time that Jesus loves me. And from there, they come, came to know Christ our Savior. It's amazing uh, our responsibility to get children the gospel, and we need to, we need to do a better job with that. Uh, I was talking to Brother, um, Brother uh, Bill McSpadden recently, and he, he told me, and Bill McSpadden has been used to win many people to Christ and encourage many other people. But at the age of 11, invited to a VBS, and God saved him. Aren't you glad for that VBS? Aren't you glad that someone reached a child? And boy, we need to do that. He said, from a child, you've learned the Holy Scriptures. Look at verse number 15, if you would, please. Which are able, uh, verse number 15, uh, which uh, through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. So the word of God leads us to Christ. Then verse number 16. Uh, all Scripture is given by inspiration of who? And is profitable. And that's the second reason for the Bible, so you could profit. <laughs> See, what you do with the Bible determines what God does with you. The Bible is given to us, number one, for salvation, then number two, for success. You want to be a successful mom, a successful dad, a husband, wife? Hey, find out what the Bible says and do it. Find out, you want to be a good son? You want to be a, you want to be a successful in business? Find out biblical principles from the Bible and play them out. Work hard, uh, be content. Associate carefully, give generously. It's a great combination. It's a biblical combination. He said, the word of God not only gives us salvation, it gives us success. It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction, righteousness, which basically be, which basically says it doctrine tells us what's right, reproof, what's not right, correction, it's how to get right, and instruction righteousness is how to stay right. So the Bible is given to us for profitability for salvation for success look at the last verse let's all read it together verse 17 can we please that the man of god may be thoroughly furnished and do all good works verse 17 tells us the last two reasons for the bible is so that you can be perfect what does that perfect mean mature seasoned that you you will be you'll be mature you you grow up people who spend time in the scriptures naturally mature spiritually. And mature people serve. When, when kids are babies, they don't do much maturing. They're, they're having to be, you're having to wipe their mouth. You're having to clean their room. You're having to make their bed. But as they get older, they're able to help other people as they grow in maturity. Um, and the truth of the matter is, that's why God gave us the Bible. Salvation, success, um, for, for seasoning or for maturity, 
And then ultimately, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all what? The good works. That means doing something for God. Uh, let, let your light so shine before men they may see your good works. There's two works going on simultaneously in our world. Dead works and good works. When you see good works in the Bible, it means things that you do that will be rewarded in the afterlife. Most of my works I do are dead works. They just, they live and die right here. And that's where you want to be in that realm. And, and by the way, all ground is holy ground. Every bush is a burning bush. And God has, uh, you can be mowing your lawn and do good works. Because the Bible says, whether you eat or drink, whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. You can be eating your meals. You can be, you can be on your way to church. There's lots of things you can do that, 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 that crosses over to the spiritual realm. But the Word of God helps me do that. My love, what we do with the Bible determines what God does with us. And one of the things I love about being a Baptist is that Baptist people have the Bible as their authority. The Scriptures are authority. If you want to write down another verse, it's 2 Peter chapter 1, verse number 20 and 21. Let's look at the next one. I need to hasten if I can, please. And that is, every church is autonomous. The autonomy of the local church. And so, um, autonomy of the local church basically means that every church governs itself. It propagates itself. It sustains itself. Okay? So if we have a roof in our building, who gets to help us fix that roof? We do. Well, you said that really good, Mrs. Colston. Thank you very much. Yeah, if we want to support a missionary, who decides if we do that? We do. It's our decision. If we say, you know what, we don't feel like that missionary is is doing what God wants, uh, what would want us to have a missionary doing. We say, you know what, I think we're going we're gonna to suspend the support on that thing. That's our decision. Every church is, is self-governing. It governs itself. It, it, uh, it sustains itself. Now, of course, there are churches or small churches that need help from other people for a while. I uh, just now uh, got a letter today, and we'll probably help a church in a, in a little bit. They're, they're, they're trying to buy a building. They, they meet in the, in the Legion Hall of their, of their local area there in Wisconsin Dells, and they've been there, and God's helped them, and they have raised uh, $50,000 for another building that they want to try to find a building. They don't have a found a building yet, but they, they're doing that, and they're trying to get 100000 I thought, well, you know, we can help them with 5000 or 2000 or something. We'll ask the Lord to help us with that. But I want to encourage this new body of believers. But the truth of the matter is, that's a, that church is their, it's, it's their billy wag. And we got our billy wag here. We got our, we got our billy wag is Greek. And, no, I'm just joking. It's not either. It's just, we got our own, we had our own program trying to figure out what God wants us to do. And every church is autonomous. It's good. We have loose association with many other churches. And I'm so grateful for that. But the truth of the matter is, we're not an association of Baptists. Every church is autonomous. It's self-governing, self-propagating. And that's important. That's important for the longevity of a church. You know, one of, the, one of the modern denominations that they're having a problem with, they get together and decide how they feel about homosexuality. Do you have to do that? No. No, we, we get together and see how we feel about women pastors. They decide they want to do that, or they think, it, they think it, that uh, in the same-sex marriage, they're making decisions on how they feel about that. And so they're all, their, all their bigwigs get together and they decide, what do we feel? They take a vote and then they say, here's what our new stance is on that. Well, that's terrible because now you have everybody in that group there 
is going down the same, they're, going, they're sinking in the same ship. And I think God wanted individual churches to do that. Several verses we could look at there, but I think uh, uh, if you could probably write down a couple thoughts here, but 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 5, and this is where Paul says, now let's consider the Macedonian uh, churches, the churches of Thessalonica and the churches of Berea and the churches of, of Philippi in particular. He said, these guys are poor, but they're generous. They're afflicted, but they have joy. And he said, these guys heard that the church of Corinth, you guys were going to support missions, and they got excited and they want to do it themselves. They don't have near the money and the resources you do, but they, out of their poverty, they pleaded for an opportunity to participate. And you see that, that he puts every church has a choice to, to support or not support, to do this or not to do it. And every church is autonomous. The next thing, and, and, and we're all working together, but we're not necessarily in any association. I think there's great strength in that, and I think it's a biblical model. Next thing is the priesthood of the believer. And that is every person is, uh, has direct access to God for themselves. One of the great verses of this is 1 Timothy chapter, number one, chapter 2 and verse number 5. There is one God and one mediator between God and man. And who is that? It's the man Christ Jesus. So whenever I got, whenever to get to God, I, have, I don't have to go to another human being. I don't have to go to a, to a priest to go confession. I don't have to go. And matter of fact, God calls us priest. Let's look at that real quickly. I think it would be good for you to write this down if you, if you are uh, making notes on this. And, of course, Revelation 5, verses 9 and 10, he said he makes you kings and priests. But let's go to 1 Peter chapter 2, and verse number 5 and 6. 1 Peter chapter 2, would you turn there with me? And maybe put an asterisk by these verses. These are good verses for you to learn. 1 Peter chapter 2, we're looking at verse number 5 and verse number 9. I think I said 5 and 6. But look at chapter 2, verse number 5. Read it with me, would you please? This is, this is Apostle Peter. Boy, this old fisherman, he gets into some theological verbiage. It's just beautiful under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God. Let's read verse 5. Ready? Here's what he says. Ye also are and a built up spiritual house and to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. So really a priest is one who, who, who performs sacred rites of religion uh, and especially an mediatory agent between human beings to God. But quite frankly, all of us are priests. When you win someone to Christ, you are exercising a little bit of a, of a mediator. You're trying to introduce them to Jesus as your, as your Savior. But... Everyone has direct access to God. You don't have to go to another person to get to the Lord because we have the Lord Jesus. Verse number 9 is a very classic verse. If you haven't got it underlined in your Bible, you want to, but you are a chosen generation, a royal what? You had a holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show the praises of him who have called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. The next thing, real quickly, that Baptist distinctive is that there are two uh, ordinances. Let's review them together. Say them with me. Number one, biblical authority. Number two, of the local church. Number three, number four, there's two ordinances the church was given to take care of, and that is the Lord's Supper and baptism, okay? You don't have to get baptized in the local church, but you need to be baptized under the authority of a local church. For someone to get baptized, there needs to be three criteria. Number one, there needs to be a proper candidate, 
To be baptized, you must have already accepted Jesus as your Savior. Is baptism a part of salvation, yes or no? No. Is it a picture of salvation? Yes. Okay. So for someone to get baptized, they need a proper candidate. They have to be saved first. They've already professed their faith in Christ. Number two, there needs to be a proper method, and that is they must go by immersion. There must be under the water. It's very clear that Jesus got baptized. He went down into the River Jordan. Did he go down in there so they could sprinkle him on top of the head and walk out? No, he went down to the River Jordan so he could go underneath there. Philip and the eunuch, when he baptized him in Acts chapter 8, he, they both, both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water. It's very clear because that pictures the death, the burial, and the resurrection. The third thing they need is an authority. Now, once again, it doesn't have to be done by the pastor, but there needs to be a representative of the church that is recognized as authority. I think deacons could certainly uh, perform baptism or assistant pastors could do that. But the, the important thing would be uh, would be that they would, they would be sanctioned by the church and, and there needs to be a proper authority. It doesn't have to be in a church. You could have, uh, years ago, I had a precious lady that I remember meeting her at a vacation Bible school. She came to the vacation Bible school to pick up children and with her friend and she was drinking vodka out of a, out of a water bottle and, and she was a little tipsy. But I got to talk to her a little bit. She began to come to the church and God saved her. And her life changed, and she had an alternative lifestyle. She rejected that. Right here, went through discipleship, went through all the discipleship lessons, and God really helped her. She's a sweet girl. I'll never forget her calling me from Pennsylvania one day. She said, Pastor, he goes, I'm over here, and I told my, two, my niece and my nephew how to get saved. They both accepted Jesus. I did exactly how you showed me, and I, they got saved. I said, that is great. What's their names? And, and I, I talked to her, and she told me the names. I can't remember what the names are right now. But then she goes, Pastor, they have a pool in their backyard. Can I baptize them? I said, no, you're really not supposed to. I can't. How come I can't? And well, I had to kind of talk to her a little bit about that. I, you know, first of all, I think that, first of all, that's, that's something reserved for church authority. It doesn't have to be. You don't just go baptize your friends in your backyard. Okay? But there needs to be a church authority in regards to that. And it was given to the church to do. The, the next thing the church was given the chance to do, and that is to honor the Lord's Supper, or the communion, we call it. And once again, I don't think it's, it's not something, hey, come over to the house, we're going to have several friends, we're going to do the Lord's Supper together. Okay? I don't think it's wrong, and it could be in one day that we could say, look, folks, uh, we're not meeting at the church, but I want everybody to go to a different, these are the homes, and you're going to take the Lord's Supper there. I, I guess that would be fine. I don't know any, any reason biblically that wouldn't be done. But it's not to be done just independent of the local church. It is God's plan. He gave the church two ordinances. Notice they're not sacraments. Okay? And, and God tells us about this. If you're taking notes, it's Matthew chapter 28, 1920, to go into all nations, preach the gospel, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, teach them to observe all things. That's Matthew 28, 19, and 20. And then 1 Corinthians chapter 11 is the explanation of the Lord's Supper. But uh, both of them are ordinances, and they're both symbolic. They're not sacraments and necessary for salvation. So I had, a, had an argument with a man, or not really an argument. I wasn't trying to, I was trying to win souls, not an argument. But, but he was convinced, if you're going to go to heaven, you have to take the Eucharist. You have to take the Lord's Supper. If you're going to go to heaven, you have to be baptized. Okay, and the problem is, that makes them a sacrament. 
And God doesn't call, they're not sacraments, they are ordinances. They're not necessary, they're not a part of salvation, they're a picture. One of salvation, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, the other one of the sufferings of Christ. So these are things that God gave to the local church. Now, you go to a Lutheran church or the Protestant churches of, of, the, of, of, of Presbyterian or Congregational or Episcopals, they protested. They came out of the Catholic Church, but they took, they came out for truth, but they, they took the traditions. And now, if you're, gonna, if you're going to, you, there are many of the same things they practice the way they were learned whenever they came out of the, of the Catholic Church. Let's continue on real quickly, and I, I want to I just get this to you. Individual soul liberty. It's a little bit deep. Not deep, but basically is that, that uh, faith in Jesus Christ cannot be coerced. You can't make someone be a Christian. It has to be individually soul liberty. I love my children, all nine of them. And I want all of them to be Christians but can I make them be Christians? No. Who has to choose that? They do. It, ha it can't be coerced. You know, uh, I can't make them be a child of God. That's something they have to individually do. On another, on another point, uh, also as a child of God, uh, every one of us are at different stages and have different, uh, different um, growth patterns, and, and, and God is working us individually. And none of, us, none of us are on the exact same plane, okay? There are some of you who you used to watch uh, Jerry Springer. <laughs> but you, you wouldn't do that now if your life depended upon it. You used to watch soap operas, but you're not going to do that now. Why? Because God began to deal with you about that. Some of you, you, you used to do some things. You would go places that, that, that you, would, you would thought nothing of it. And all of a sudden, the Spirit of God began to work in your heart. It's like, you know what? I'm not going to go back there. I don't, like, I don't like the way I feel about that. I don't like what they stand for. You know what? That's not going to happen. And those are, those are, some of those things are not necessarily sin. They're weights. And so and in, in individual soul liberty, not all of us have the exact same, uh, same positions on everything currently. One day we get to heaven, we'll be all perfect, right? I have a friend of mine who does not believe that you should have a television in your home. He doesn't want a television in his home. And so he says, you know, I'm not putting a television in my house. I'm not going to raise my kids with a television. Is that okay, yes or no? It's fine. I think that I admire him for that. And if he ever came to my house, I would certainly would not want to be offensive to him. Remember I had a friend like that, and one day we had, we have a, we had a little television, but we made, I made sure it was away, and we didn't put it out because I don't want to be hurtful to him or his family. But if that brother said to me, Brother John, I don't have a television in my house. Anyone who does have a television, they're not right with God. That's wicked. I can't believe anybody. I don't believe anybody who's a Christian should have a television in their home. Is that okay? No, we got a little bit of an issue there, don't we? And the reason we have an issue is because of individual soul liberty. Is that God is working. Everyone has to be fully persuaded in their own mind, Romans chapter 14. So then every one of us should give an account of himself to God. God, God works in us, and, it does, and, and there are certain things we don't have to say, okay, I'm already praying about whether I should steal or not. Okay, no, you don't have to pray about that. Yeah, that's thus saith the Lord, okay? But there are other things that are, that are a little bit more, a little bit, uh, and I know some folks can't stand the word gray area. 
especially those who are just black and white. But the truth of the matter is, there are areas that God is working in other people's life, and that's where we have to be in honor, preferring one another. That's where we exercise patience and love to people, uh, rather than insist that, you know, it's my way or the highway. If you don't believe with me, you're out of here. And we've got some folks that, that kind of get that way, and they get real critical, and they're not, they're not giving people opportunities to grow and understand things. But uh, I think I better stop. Let's pray together. Father.